Welcome to A Fine Time for Healing, which is my podcast that I've been doing for over 12 years. And I have interviewed over 500 guests in those 12 years. Very, very, I love doing this because it's just so interesting to me. But A Fine Time for Healing is a place for your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. That's why you're here. Today, I have a really interesting guest for you. Um, today, we're going to be talking about how the teenage brain was actually physiologically aged during the pandemic or because of the pandemic. And this is a topic that is very similar to what I talk about a lot um, about the damage that happens to our brains when we are under long periods of stress. So today we have with us Dr. Catherine Smerling. Um, Dr. Smerling is a collaborative and dynamic psycho psychotherapist who specializes in creating healthy and meaningful relationships. She works with individuals and families in all phases of life, crisis related or otherwise. Her extensive professional and educational experience has developed her working knowledge of a broad range of techniques, allowing her to creatively tailor sessions to meet the specific needs of her clients. Welcome to A Fine Time for Healing, Catherine. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Randy, for having me. Thank you. It's really, it's, it's really wonderful to have you. Um, I, I really do love this topic, and I'm real curious to hear what you have to say about this. Um, was it, is it just teenagers that, were, that are affected by this? No, not at all. There are, there are kids that we call, now call COVID babies that have not socialized. This is the first time they're socializing in two, three years, where the normal kind of thing is to take a, a baby class and to see people and to interact socially. This is the first time children, babies, from one to two, are socializing at all in a gym class, in a conversation class, in a rock and roll and baby class, at, at, the, uh, at the parks, because we didn't have that for two and a half years. Since March of 2020, we did not have the ability to socialize. And I think for the teenagers, they did not have the ability to interact in, in a way that was meaningful. Working on a screen and working from home is not a way to remove stress and to really be in, a, in an atmosphere where you can learn. Remember that high school is also a social developmental laboratory. They did not have that. And they were stressed and they still are stressed. In fact, the New York Post, not that I believe everything that the New York Post said, right. but they said that yesterday there was an increase in teenage uh, murders, in murders by teenagers. Matter of fact, I have the, the exact, because I was so struck by this, it says shocking 161 murder suspects in 2022 were minors double the number from 2019. Wow. That's so that crazy. shows that we are losing 
a whole, um, we're losing almost a generation to violence and to lack of social communication. Um, and this is largely due to the pandemic, not totally, but it is. Wow, that is so frightening. I know that it's promoting criminality. And um, now, so we, so you've explained how it, the stress has affected them so powerfully. How does it age the mind? Stress ages the mind. Uh, I mean, it, those people that live the longest and the ha are the happiest are those that have been able to externalize the stress, but not internalize it. Those people in, um, in Greece and in Italy, they're the longest acting, the longest living people. They don't have that same kind of stress in their life. And they also have a very active social connection. One of the things that does age the brain is isolation and a lack of social connection. Wow. And people that are active and socially connected to people of all ages, not only teenagers, but people who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, grandparents, um, have a much, a much less stressful life. When you're alone and you're isolated and you're frustrated, you have a tendency to get angry and to get isolated. And isolation is not good for your mental health. They are finding that healthy relationships is the thing that leads to longevity. There was just a stuff, uh, there was just a study, I believe it was Wadlinger at Harvard that just had a study that showed that help people with healthy relationships living the longest and they're the happiest. And so, I mean, that really makes sense because I think most of us realize that if an elderly person is alone, that they're, they're not going to live as long as if they are socialized and visited and loved and, you know, treated well. So I guess it's really kind of the same thing. So, um, this, one of the studies that you cite showed that when comparing the MRI scans of a group of 128 children, half before the, the pandemic and half at the end of the first year, there was growth in the hippocampus and amygdala. When that happens, what occurs? Growth in the hippocampus and the amygdala are, are the things that create more stress. Okay, and it, it, those are the areas of the brain that highlight stress. And that, that means that there's growth in the area of stress and unhappiness and depression more than is usual. And this is something that can be seen on scans? Yes, of course it can be. It can be seen on scans, and that's why this new brain imaging is so exciting. It's such an exciting tool that we mental health professionals have in order to elucidate some of the things that we didn't know about before. It's a very powerful tool. I think that's fantastic. It yeah. really, it, it's been long needed. It's amazing, and it's very much needed. And I think that the areas that of organization, which is the prefrontal cortex, 
really need to be strengthened also. And that is a way that we work now with the younger children because they are not as organized as the children pre-pandemic. They're just not as organized. They don't have as many experiences. Their language may be delayed. There are a lot of things that go into the first five years of life. And when you're isolated during the portion of that period of life, you don't you don't end up with a jump start that others had before you. And I think it's the same thing with the teenagers. They have been isolated and angry and frustrated and also not believing our public leaders. There isn't a lot of, of kindness in the world right now. Right. And I think that they are picking up on, on uh, that, on the violence that the world is perpetrating. Um, I'm a big believer in kindness is intentional in paying, playing kindness forward. And if you are kind to someone, they will play it forward and be kind to another person. I think we're lacking that. I think that we're lacking that in the world and our sensibilities. And I think that our emotional development is just as important as our academic development. And there should be more emphasis on that in the schools. I 100% agree with you. There is there's a huge mental health component that is missing from the from the school system, from the educational system. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it really is as important as all these subjects that they're teaching that some kids can't even relate to. But um, many are dealing with problems outside of school from their home, you know, their family, um, whatever is going on. And they don't know how to deal with this. Nope. And there really is no resources for them um, because the school psychologist, often they, they don't want to go to the school psychologist because there's a stigma attached to that for them, but um, they're still not going to get the tools that they need, right? Well, I, you know, absolutely. First of all, you mentioned something, Randy, which is so near to my heart. We have to remove the stigma from getting mental health help. I think that the wise people in the world have gotten mental health help. The people that are not wise have not gotten mental health. And this is, you know, I'm not making a blanket, um, a blanket message that everyone has to go seek therapy, but to learn about yourself and learn about the way people interact and people interrelate is a very important skill to have. And one of the things that you specialize in, which is narcissism, is the lack of relational ability. So, you know, it's really important that people learn, maybe it has to be a very cognitive thing, that they learn how to relate so that they can get along better in the world. Mm -hmm. And this comes from early childhood. This comes right from uh, the playground. Well, we know that narcissism, narcissistic personality is formed in childhood or before the age of 18. And uh, it's usually uh, a, um, a maladaptive coping mechanism on steroids, really. It's, it's, they can't cope with their environment and they just take on this false self and that's it. That's what they show in life. I deal mostly with the victims of this uh, and survivors of this, which are, they come to me completely broken. It's awful. 
awful what these people do. But, you know, if schools focused on teaching children how to cope, how to navigate life in a healthy way, oh, these absolutely. kind of things wouldn't, wouldn't happen. I, I, I mean, it beats a calculus as far as I'm concerned, and calculus is just as important, but it really teaches kids how to cope and how to be resilient. And that's what we are not teaching our, our children right now. We are not teaching them emotional resilience, what to do with frustrations, what to do with um, with wanting things and not being able to get them. That's what all these murders are about. They're re reflexive, reactive experiences to frustration and anger. And very many teenagers have not yet developed the part of the brain that is able to control your reactions. And in fact, in men, boys, it's not fully developed until 26 or 27. Now, what are we doing with all of this information that we have? Why aren't we looking at this carefully so that we can make some social change because otherwise we are going to have a very divided, which we do already, but certainly a very divided community. Yeah, so true. It's really difficult to, to get um, hierarchies to change and move forward and things like that. Um, systems, especially government systems, it's very hard to get change um, in that. Yeah. One of the things that I do enjoy most about, um, about my work is that when I can get people to understand that reciprocity is probably the one, most important skill that you can have in forming relationships. In other words, stop thinking about yourself and understand what the other person needs to maybe make an inroad into communication. I love seeing someone's face light up and say, wow, that I could do that. I can really do that. So that's, that's exciting to me. If we can do it on the ground with one-on-one, -on -one, we can do it in more ways than we can possibly imagine. Um, another thing that I think helps people um, move out of their own heads is gratitude. Yeah. Sometimes if somebody's really stuck, I'm like in this week before you see me again, I want you to just focus on gratitude, nothing else, you know, just look around, be grateful for everything that you have. Um, it helps take the focus off of yourself. Right. And, yeah. You know, um, very often I recommend that my clients and people I work with volunteer and do something else for someone else. Mm -hmm. That does make you forget about yourself. It really does. And if you can look to see how your kindness and giving to other people is a way for you to get over your own depression, maybe more people will do that. As a matter of fact, there was a study that just came out last week from Ohio State University in which they had three groups of people who were depression, depressives. And I think one was on medication and one did a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then the other group was told to go out and do things for other people to spread kindness around. 
it turns out that the group that was spreading kindness developed more higher dopamine levels than the other two groups. So doing things for other people is a very worthwhile experience for yourself as well as others, because it does relieve depression. You're right. It really does. It's that's such great advice. Um, what has happened to, uh, you know, we know what's going on with the children. They've been isolated. What is happening with adults and why are we all so anxious and angry and stress, you know, stressed? Why are, why is this happening? I think people are, are incredible, un, incredibly uneasy. First of all, uh, in for many couples, whether married or not, they spent a lot of time together during the pandemic. And now they have gone off and they're starting to develop their parallel lives once again. And they're beginning to see that maybe things aren't the way they thought they would be. Mm -hmm. There are very few people that have the same relationship now as they did before the pandemic. It just, the pandemic has changed everyone and changed the way we, rela we relate as a family and couples. It has done some wonderful things in that people do, did value and are valuing now, I hope, family dinners and a chance to do things together as a family and, and enjoy, enjoy your family instead of finding as though it's a burden. But there are no families that have come out of the pandemic without scars. There just have not been. And uh, those, those scars are real. People, uh, a lot of people have lost jobs. The stock market is incredibly volatile. The inflation that's going on now is, un it makes people uneasy. And there are a whole bunch of things, you know, that are making things hard for people to, to relax, really. Rich or poor. And, you know, of course, you know, when you have money, you can escape some of the problems that you have. But uh, but people who have money are still very uneasy and very anxious. And, you know, I think the whole country is going through a transition period, hopefully to something better than it was. So. But a transition period to try and trust your public leaders for which people do not now. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. Things are strange, very strange right now. Very. It's very hard to, um, to get your equilibrium right now. Nothing is, is as it was. Nothing is predictable. It's very strange. And look at California with three mass shootings over the, over the last week. And, and that's scary. I mean, these have been residential areas, areas that have been traditionally quiet and friendly. And now there are mass shootings there. It's very disconcerting and very anxiety provoking. Of course, no one is safe. Yeah. We used to, I mean, that in itself is a very difficult thing to live with, to yeah. not feel safe. Yes. I think you have to feel safe in order to be emotionally healthy. And so, you know, everybody's walking around looking over their shoulders. You just don't know what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. 
I know I live in New York City and I am so grateful to the policemen and security that we now have in our subways that I make a point of saying thank you when I'm standing waiting for a subway and I see the policeman there because it has been violent in the, in the subways. And at least that's one part of New York which has showed a force so that people feel safer, which I think is very important and very important for our own mental health, as you have said, Randy. Right. Um, I, was, I was unaware. My daughter rides the subway. She, she lives in Manhattan. Phone keeps ringing. I, I thought I turned down the ringer. Anyway, um, she she lives in the Upper West Side, and um, so she rides the subway. And I've been so nervous about it because of the things that we've been hearing. But I'm really glad to say, to hear that um, that they have security now. Oh, there's security all around the subways. Honestly, <laughs> I don't do anything that's unsafe, and uh, there are securities. There is security now. Uh, where there hasn't, where there ha wasn't about two months ago. Oh, so it's just in the last two months. Yeah, I mean, if you can't ride the subway, you're paralyzed. Yes. <laughs> Nobody has a car, so. Um, so what is the uh, physiological, th so, so we know that stress, you say, um, I have in my notes that um, there's a growth in the hippocampus and amygdala. And why do they enlarge? Through stress. You know, our body is the most incredible integrated system. And you can't feel stress and not have it affect other parts of your body. Right. Um, you know, you, ju you just don't do that. There are people, sometimes people blank out because they're so anxious that they can't talk. Well, that affects your whole, your ability to process language, affects your body. And this is, I mean, we can't just have a pain one part of our body and it not affect the other part. We are a beautifully integrated system. And if you feel stressed, you're gonna feel it in your stomach. You're gonna feel it in achy bones. You're gonna feel it in tight muscles. You're gonna feel it as from a headache. You're gonna feel it all different places. And that's why I think exercise and walking is so important because that does relieve, does relieve the somatic stress. It really does. So, you know, I guess I asked that question about the enlarging because um, I know that um, in the studies that were done with children who grew up with, in, with anger in their homes, their hippocampus actually was smaller. So, right? So why is it larger in this case? Do you know? <laughs> Did I stump you? I no, I think, you know, I'm, um, I'm very well educated, but I'm not a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. okay. That's something which I will actually um, ask as soon as we get off the website. Okay, great. I didn't, I, mean, I didn't mean to stump you, but thank you. No, but I am also curious to know, and uh, that's something that I'm not familiar with. So I'm going to be honest and say I'm going to do some research. Good for you. Let me know. <laughs> um, what else is going on with our children and our teenagers? Um, 
how are they de dealing with school and um, the academics and things like that? I mean, we know that their social life was drastically affected. Um, is, it, is it impacting their academics? I, I think yes. First of all, I think colleges now are looking for, um, you know, unique individuals that have been able to overcome hardships in their lives. Mm and not just people that have been uh, spoon-fed throughout their lives. As a matter of fact, there are a, a number of colleges that have um, stopped all legacies from, from being able to get early entrance. Really? Yes. Like Ivy Leagues? Ivy Leagues. Really? Wow. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so I think that the game has changed. And I think that kids now are trying to keep up with the game or keep up with the changing game. The other thing is that there is lots of there are lots of pressures on them. The um, educational aspects of their lives were still were were absolutely stultified by the pandemic because no one learns better online constantly than being able to sit down and ask questions and have a real interaction. Um, I also think that there is a demand on kids now to be multifaceted. They aren't only interested in a kid who, um, colleges that is, in, in a kid who does very well on the standardized tests and those are being eliminated to a light. Well, the standards have changed and the game has changed. And I think that, that um, high school kids and college kids don't really know what is demanded of them right now. There isn't a clear cut structure. And they are, you know, they're a little bit lost, which I think is okay because if you're not lost in your 20s, you know, you will have a hard time if you're in your 50s and you become lost. You're right. I think that that's fine. I think the 20 should be a time of exploration mm -hmm. and failure and resilience and building up life skills. Right. But um, I do think that there's a lot of pressure on the young people to perform, mm -hmm. to perform and get a job and support themselves and blah, 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 the whole thing. I think it's happening younger and younger, but the kids are taking a long time a longer time to grow up. Right, they really are. The first thing I noticed, this, this was maybe five or more years ago, was that um, kids were turning 16 and not wanting to drive. They didn't want cars, they didn't want to get their licenses. And I thought to myself, I lived my whole young life, my whole childhood waiting for that driver's license. You know, I couldn't wait to be free. And that's where I really started to notice that these kids are changing. They lack the same drive or motivation that, you know, we had when we were younger. Have you seen that? Yes, I, I have a lot. But, you know, as I said, I live in New York City. So kids are not so excited about getting their driver's license anyway. I mean, right. most don't get it until they're 17 at all. Right. And, and there are New York City kids that don't, want to drive at all or have a driver's license that they haven't used for 10 years. 
So I think it depends on where you live in the world. I think in California, it's essential to have a car and a driver's license. You know, so I don't know if those same values apply to um, to other parts of the country. Right. I do know that the need to grow up presents both anxiety and fear and confusion for most of the most of the young adults that are experiencing the challenges right now. Very, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, how can parents help their kids through this? Parents are going through it too, but how can they help their kids? Are going through, well, is this my life? Is this what I want? Do mm -hmm. I have an opportunity to change as well? I think that parents can be open about their struggles as well as kids' struggles. And, uh, you know, I think the best way to communicate is certainly through honesty and not to be judged. If a kid is having, you know, trouble, that's fine. How do we get to from one side to another without experiencing some kind of grief and anguish? I mean, life is not a smooth scale uh you know where you just go one way and it goes all the way up there are lots of bumps in the road mm -hmm. and we have to be resilient to and teach resilience to know that it is okay to fail i think that's the biggest uh you know uh, in in talking about this randy i'm thinking that what is the biggest lesson i think that it's okay to fail it's okay to take risks within, uh, you know, with certain capacities without doing something harmful to yourself, but take risks and fail because that is the only way that you are really going to learn in an experiential way. And it helps that when you, when these kids fail, that they do have the support and love of their parents. No judgment. And the being called on it every single time. You know, so I guess that's one another thing parents can do is just really support, meet your kids where they're at, support them with what they're going through. Don't judge. You know? Right. Don't judge them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I made it a habit with my kids to um, to never judge ever because I grew up with a narcissistic mother. And mm -hmm. so, of course, everything was judgment and guilt and everything like that. And I felt when I started parenting that the best way to keep my kids safe in this world was to have an open and constant dialogue with them. And the minute you judge them or react to the things they're telling you, they clam up and they, they won't talk to you. So I think that's really important. It, it is very important. And I think that goes for early in life as well as, you know, when when children begin to go to school, I think it's really important in childhood that you do not judge your kid for what he can do or can provide or how he can better your life. Mm. Because I think that is so important in developing self-esteem that you praise your child for doing the right things internally but not necessarily for, um, you know, for being the, you know, the tallest one on in, at the playground or the biggest one in the playground or that, you know, that 
there are internal values that we can start making sure that we give our children. Mm -hmm. And that might not have been a good example. Well, it is. No, it really is. It is. Um, yeah, but, you know, yeah. I, I feel very strongly that we have to support our children, teaching them kindness and teaching them about human relationships and teaching them about trust in their early childhood days. And that's what that time is for, is to build trust, attunement. Uh, you know, your mother obviously didn't was not attuned to you because she was a narcissist. So I imagine that must have been very difficult for you. Mm -hmm. But you learned a lesson and you gave the repeater repair, you, you repaired. Right, I ended the legacy. <laughs> deliberately it ended the legacy uh that important that you know that's a very important message randy because you can change and you can end a legacy you don't have to be in pain and feel tortured your whole life i agree 100 percent uh, some people are have been in pain and have suffered so many years that they don't know what who what or who they'll be when they let that go and that could be very scary too well it's scary to let go of habits mm -hmm. and even if they're habits that harm you they're they're scary to let go of a bad relationship a um someone who abuses you or those are the hardest relationships that i have found in working with couples and families for the one who was abused to let go of you're absolutely right. It is very, very common. Um, so I would imagine that um, this pandemic and the stress that children are under has created more bullying. Have you seen that? Yes, definitely. Yep, I have. I have seen a lot more bullying, a lot more mean girls. Um, I have seen 10-year-old girls acting like 14 and 15-year-olds. 15 year old girls, uh, there's a exclusion, there's, um, yes, that, that is very disturbing. But I, I do see a lot of that. And I, I frankly, I think some of it is from the movies, some of it's from the media. I think social media is disastrous for helping young girls and boys develop self-esteem. Mm -hmm. You know, these TikToks aren't real. The, People's, the way people look isn't real. And there is an aura of, wow, I have to step outside myself to be liked because I can't really be vulnerable or just a nice person because I don't have any razzle-dazzle. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the millennials um, are planning their success for social media. They think they're going to be successful on social media. I know I've talked to probably five to 10 um, millennials that, you know, and when I ask them, where, what are your goals? Oh, I'm, I'm going to be a, a social media star. <laughs> I, know, I know, I have uh, the same thing in my practice and with other people that I work with, mm -hmm. uh, but mainly teenagers. Um, what, what do you want to be? I'm going to be an influencer. Mm -hmm. An influencer. The job. Absolutely. And right. And, and it's almost kind of a, they think it's going to be an easy thing, a lazy man's way of navigating this world. It's not. They don't know what goes on behind the scenes to make these, to get these people to where they are. It's not an easy thing. 
Absolutely. A job, a regular job might be even easier. Well, I don't know. I think that's also one of the, the dilemmas that is going on now, that there are so many new professions. It isn't that you have a chance to be um, a banker, a teacher, a lawyer, a this, a that, a this, a that. You, there are jobs that are influential, influencers or, you know, tech jobs that we had never heard of before. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of creativity that can go on and a lot of innovation that can go on. And that's an exciting part of being young today. Yeah, I mean, I've watched, um, my daughter is 37, I've watched her evolve. She graduated college with a business degree. She's very strong in math. And she worked for Ernst & Young right away. So she got into statistics, but years later, she went back and got her data science master, which oh. was something that never existed. And her husband also did the same thing. They're both data scientists. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that was a career that did not exist. Right, exactly. And it's okay to have different, it's okay to do one thing and then five years later decide you want to do another thing. I mean, I think, I think that's important to know. I think, you know, when I grew up, the father, I mean, my, most mothers weren't working at the time that I grew up and the fathers, whatever they got stuck in is what they were stuck in until they retired. And it's not like that anymore. Yeah. I was very fortunate, fortunate to have a working mother all the time and a mom who was a speed skater and an athlete. Wow. That was a great role model for me. But I honestly... I, I at, when I was young, I wanted to be like everyone else, like every other, like every other child. And I couldn't believe that I used to lie and say my mother was home. She wasn't home. She was. <laughs> <laughs> and when you think about it now, I mean, my God, what a role, what an incredible role model I had. Mm -hmm. You know, think that I was not proud. I am now, of course, but that I was, I was not proud of the fact that she was a working mother when a lot of mothers did not work. Yeah, it's funny that you were embarrassed by that. <laughs> but that, right. that was the norm, that was the norm. That just was the norm. Some, so, some families had one car and the father took the car to work and the mother was home and that was that, you know. Uh, um, and my father used to walk to work in a community where you didn't walk at that time. People didn't walk just to walk at that time. And, you know, so um, my parents were, were quirky for their time in, in that period of time. But, you know, and I think there's an element of wanting to fit in, in for all kids. So I think the pressures of wanting to fit in in New York City are quite different than they might be in another suburban community. Yeah. But I have had kids that do the same thing that I did when I was a kid, that have made up stories of their family because they were embarrassed or they don't tell all of the, they don't tell the whole truth. I think that's very common. And I, I think that the sooner that you can admit it and know that it, you don't have to do that because no one is judging you. No one is judging you except for yourself. The more that you love yourself and you can be honest with yourself and forthright about who you are, 
the happier kind of person you will be. Why do we think that other people are as hyper-focused on us, what we do, what we say, <laughs> as, you know, as the, the, people just aren't that hyper-focused on us? Why, why do we do this? You know, I think there's a, you know, there's an insecurity. I think that that has um, garnered more attention because of the internet and the social, you know, the social media that we are concerned about what face we want to put forward um, and what content we want to display for the rest of the world. Um, I, I mean, I, I frankly, as an adult right now, I don't care, but I'm not involved in social media where I have to, where I, I need to be liked. Mm -hmm. So I think it comes from the idea of, so how many likes did you get? How many followers do you have? All of that is so detrimental to forming your own self-esteem because there are enough things that come around naturally that you don't have to post. I have over a thousand people that like me today. I mean, you know, that's really hard. Really hard to keep that up. It is. I use social media for, for my business as well. I started using it for uh, you know, to have a personal page. And what I found was, I mean, I'm highly secure. I, I'm mentally well. Um, I, I don't about myself and everything. Every time I would go on that page, I would start to doubt myself. I would start to feel worse because it's like, oh, well, her husband must love her more than my husband because look at the big bouquet of flowers he just got her or, you know, the piece of jewelry or, you know, or why are these people taking so many vacations when I'm not, you know, it's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's really hard to um, keep your esteem, self-esteem. You know, even the best of us um, who are healthy and successful. Um, I have a newsletter and this month it's going out next week. And this month it's about FOMO, the fear of missing out. Mm. And this is so prominent now with small children till 90 year olds, I guess. Um, but everyone, for, for some ridiculous reason, you cannot be all places all the time. You cannot, and maybe it's not even important to do that. You have to do the things that make you happy and your family happy. And you don't have to be seen and have it posted and be in a magazine or, I mean, whatever. I mean, to be, you know, the most popular person in your high school or in your college or whatever. But the fear of missing out is so great that it has caused in, you know, that that is one of the primary experiences of eating disorders is their fear of missing out. Really? Always looking out instead of looking in, always looking out. And this is a way to control your own ability to control the world is through an eating disorder or uh, something else that self harms. So, I mean, I think we have to be explicit about what FOMO is and the fear of missing out. Be explicit that the only person that you have to please is yourself and your close friends. And you don't need 300 close friends. You need one, two, three close friends. 
you need quality in your life rather than quantity. I agree with you. I do. I agree with I think you. That we agree on a lot of things. Is yeah, bit, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. when you work when you work with people, you know, you you see these things, and um, I'm seeing a lot of people who whose um, kids maybe middle school, adolescence, are not wanting to go to school. They're having stress about going to school. And um, the parents are like, what do I do? What do I do? Well, I'm not a child psychologist, you know, but um, it's, it's, it's getting worse and worse and worse. <clears throat> do you think that's because they got to be home? Well, I, I think they're <clears throat> noticing the same thing, that there's a lot more school refusal than there used to be. Um, I think they got used to being home and doing work in their pajamas. And I think that school is more rigorous and it's more demanding than um, it had been for them staying home. I also think that school is more challenging. It's more challenging to have to do things in person than to have to do things in your room where you could be doing your nails while you listen to a lecture on an English lecture. You know, I mean, you know, you could be multitasking talking to your boyfriend while you're supposed to be listening to, uh, you know, listening to something on school uh, about school. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot more school refusal than, than there had been. Yes. Hmm. Same is true with people, with adults. There's a lot more, <clears throat> there's a lot more work refusal as well. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, you know, most, um, most people in their 20s will say, well, I don't want to be in the office five days a week. I, I'll be in the office maybe the most three days a week. Right. I can't do that. I don't want to work for this company. I go, okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a small percentage of jobs that are available that allow that. I work from home and I love it. But most of my life, I worked out of the home and, you know, I just couldn't wait to get home every day. I love working from home. It's, it's so relaxing and where are you broadcasting from florida oh how nice south florida yeah yeah it is it's nice although it's it's kind of like in the high 50s today which is unusual for us but we like it we get to wear sweaters yes <laughs> we don't normally get to wear sweaters so um oh so what else is um is there more to share with us in regard to this um, this issue that we're talking about? It's probably, I, I could probably talk to you for hours about it, but I think it's best to chunk things and for people to concentrate on small things at a time because that's the way they learn best. Most people can't eat the whole cake. They have to add a slice of cake. Right. So if I were to say, give you a slice of cake, I would say, first of all, kindness is intentional. Practice kindness and practice thinking about other people. Get out of your own self. I would say that try to spend as much time as you can with people that really are meaningful to you, that are intentionally meaningful to you, that are not just FOMOs, people that you want to spend time with because you're a fear of missing out on what they can give you. Uh, I mean, really and find things that are healthy to do with friends. I mean, taking a walk with a friend is glorious. You know, even playing golf, if you play golf, 
even, um, you know, taking a walk outside, going to a museum, going to a coffee shop and having coffee and sitting and talking with someone. But cherish your days and know that what you put into your days, you're going to get out of them. And if you put in a lot of caring for other people, you'll get back a lot of caring. And that's a rich life. And meaning developing meaningful relationships is really something that should be first and foremost in your heart and in your mind for emotional health. Yes. Uh, in regard, because I know a lot of people that listen to this are dealing with the issues that I specialize in, narcissistic abuse. And one of the major problems that they have is that they don't do anything for themselves and they do everything for others. So right. there has to be a balance there. There has to be that self-love first because we can't give from, an, from a dry well, right? You know, um, what the adage is always when you're traveling with your child, put on your own gas mask first, then put it on your child. Right. I, have to, we, I often, I had a client the other day whose husband was traveling for the weekend. And I said, what are you going to do? She says, well, I have three kids home by myself. I said, get a babysitter for an hour or two. Go do something, take a walk, do something for yourself. Or otherwise you're not going to be able to have anything to give to your children right. who are all demanding of you. Mm -hmm. And don't try to plan an extravaganza, just relax. You know, it's, it's like people feel as though they have to plan something. Well, don't plan anything just have a tea party at home exactly yeah you've got to take care of yourself yeah. because you have nothing to give if you don't it's very very important and and it's why so many people feel um drained yes. they're giving and giving and giving and giving and share you know and they're not getting so right. so there has to be that balance as well but you know but your point about um thinking about other people is really important because we do need to get out of our own head. It doesn't mean that we get out of our own um, self-love. We have to have that self-love first, um, but we should get out of our head and so that we're not just worrying and thinking and you know, with all this anxiety. Because um, when we're sitting alone and we have nothing to do, that's what happens. I know. Um, Years ago, when I was a stay-at-home mom, I uh, I started volunteering for hospice because I realized that as I sat there, I was really feeling bad about myself. I was like thinking about things and worrying, and I'm like, Randy, get out of your head. You got to do something. So that was great, a great release for me. And yeah, you're not thinking about yourself when you're working with people in hospice. You're not. And you're not thinking about yourself when you're thinking about people in need in general. You you just aren't. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful way to feel better about who you are. So it's it's a plus plus. It's a win-win. You're helping someone who needs you. And you're also at the same time reaping the rewards of doing that. Right. Right. This has been such a great conversation. Thank uh, you. Um, so you have a website, right? I do. What is your website? Uh, Dr. Smirling at drksmirling.com. Okay, perfect. Um, and do you see um, just clients? Uh, 
put my name in and you'll be directed to my website. Okay. Do you see clients virtually or are you just seeing them in person? Both. I see both. I see um, that was one, one good thing that happened for me is that I got very comfortable doing things uh, virtually, but I still prefer to see people one-on-one -on -one if I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's real important. I used to just uh, do it over the phone. You, you've got to see people's, you got to read them. You've got to people's, um, see people's faces. Uh, so um, I thank you so much. This has been really interesting and stimulating. I, I, I learned a lot from you. Uh, oh, I'm sure I would love to be able to connect with you again. Yes, definitely. Do you um, do you do any writing? Do you have any books or anything like that? Writing, as a matter of fact, I I honestly am very excited about it, but I just got a book contract. Oh, lucky! That's not easy to do. Very. So I'm in the process of of trying to work on finishing that in within three months. Did you so, have an agent that helped you do that? I did. And, uh, but it's, that's very exciting. And so I am writing, I'm working virtually and I work in person and I have a busy, but very fulfilling life. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, when your book comes out, I know it takes the, the publishing process takes a while. And I, and I really applaud you for getting a contract because I've written books and I I've been unable to, um, so I've self-published and promoted myself, but I, but that's a huge feat, especially nowadays when so many people are writing books. It's, that's great. Cool. Uh, yeah. So, um, what is, what is the topic going to be? Do you want to share that? It's about families and the same kind of thing, building a foundation. Okay, great. All right. So, so when that comes out, you'll come back and we'll talk about your book. For sure. Right. Yeah. Tell your, um, tell Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Tell Alex. Alex is your promoter. Okay. Yeah. Tell him to contact me again. It's great talking to you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Now, do you, have you written anything that I can read too? Shall I Google you? Absolutely. I'll show you this one. I don't know what that says. I can't see it. Oh, I'm sorry. Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, Second Edition, The Narcissistic Abuse Survivors comprehensive guide to healing and recovery oh that sounds really good it it is good if i may say so myself um it, yeah this is the second edition and um you know if you do um if you do, i'd be happy to send you a copy so uh, i'll sign it and send you a copy um when we get when we stop recording i'll get that information from you yes but yeah i'll be happy to send that to you Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Goodbye. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks again. Bye. Have a good day. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.